0: It wasn't a dark alley. He was standing in the alley with a gun pointed at his head at point blank range. And the guy he was selling the drugs to pulls the trigger three times. Hey, you're listening to The Mike Thacker Show where we talk about people, profit and purpose. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a moment in my life, and actually in in our lives, I've got Linda, my wife, here in the studio with me again, uh, where I think we pinpointed a place in time that really helped turn the trajectory of our focus, and I think it really helped shape a lot of the things that we do today with the Gabriel Project and the way we approach our version of mission or ministry or whatever you want to call it.
1: Yes, and it was way back when we were little kids, (laughs) except we weren't really kids, but man, we look like kids
0: in the photos. Yeah, I guess. So long. I still look pretty young. Don't let it fool you. My 46 <laughs> years, don't show one little bit. I'm like a 22 year old. Um, anyway, it was 1996. We were in our second year at Bible College and we had to go and do a placement somewhere, anywhere really, that was relevant to our theological degree. And so we had a, a great relationship with uh, an elderly couple in our church. It was my, my old pastor, actually, and his wife. He passed away, and we'd stayed in touch with her, and she knew this, this British guy called Ray Elder, who was out in Nashville, doing ministry with this organization called Teen Challenge, and we never, I don't think we'd ever met Ray. No, we hadn't. And he seems to think that he'd met us before, or at least met me before, but I don't remember when that was. Nope. Anywho, she connected <laughs> us with him, and, you know, one thing led to another, and so here we are, I guess, May of 96, or maybe June, getting on a plane, never been to the United States before, didn't really know Ray or Lynn before, and we're flying out there to spend three months working with these folks who hopefully are gonna take care of us and and hopefully help us learn a few things. And so, for those of you that don't know, Team Challenge was an organization founded by um, a gentleman called David Wilkerson. I think he was the founder of Times Square Church in New York, and he was famous for going out into the projects in the tough neighborhoods in New York and talking to the gangs about this God out there that, that loves them and values them and, and has a future for them. And one of the most famous converts, if you want to call him that, that David Wilkerson was involved in was a gentleman called Nicky Cruz. He wrote a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, I believe. Talking about his life as a gang member who found Jesus and transformed his life as a result. And went on to do some amazing things. And so Teen Challenge was born out of that. And the program that we went to in Nashville was a ladies program and essentially anybody with a life controlling substance issue, whether it's alcoholism, drug addiction, they're the kind of folks who are eligible to go in. So it's not just for teenagers. And I don't even know how many ladies were in the program there, maybe like 12, 15 or something like that.
1: Yeah, because they had, they were spread over two houses Um, and I think there was probably six, yeah, five or six in each house. so.
0: So what's the first thing you remember, Lind, when we, when we got there?
1: Um, I think the first thing I remember, right, well, when we got picked up or like a little later. Oh, like just houses,
0: that, that first week or two.
1: I mean, there was a lot of firsts for us. It was our first time in the States. It was mm-hmm. our first time to really experience ministry outside of the church. Um, I think Ray and Lynn were some of the nicest people I think we've met and just very genuine they made us feel like we'd, we'd known them for years i mean they made us feel like that they welcomed us in i think everybody did welcome us in and helped us feel comfortable right away even though it was very different and we were very young
0: well we were i mean we were two kids not knowing what we wanted to be when we grew up we didn't know where we were going to go we knew we wanted to do something you know ministry related or i don't know mission related whatever you want to call it and i think we were just trying to figure out what that looked like and yeah for those of you that you know understand the church world and have been around it a little while typically the career path is, you know, you go on staff at a church somewhere and you, maybe a kid's pastor, a youth pastor and maybe an assistant one day. And then, you know, when you get your big boy pants on, you, you're you the, the senior pastor. And and again, I'm not saying that's what everybody says, but but generally that's kind of the career path that you think of when you think about ministry. And for I think for me, it was very different to go somewhere where that's not at all. I, I didn't even know that you could have a job running a, mm-hmm. a place that houses rehabilitating, you know, drug addicts and and helping them figure out that their life has more value than that. I know, as I think about it now, and I think about Ray and Lynn, you're right, they were super sweet people, but let's be clear, Ray, if you ever talk to him or you ever look him up, his testimony or his story was just incredible. In his words, he didn't know a man that didn't sexually abuse him until he was at the age of 13 years old, I think is how he phrased it. He was born to a prostitute in a brothel in London, just an incredibly, incredibly tough life.
1: And then when their first man, I think a minister of some kind, did welcome him in and start loving on him in the right way and caring for him, wasn't he killed?
0: He was. I think he was killed in a car accident or some random unexpected event took place that obviously had an impact on Ray. So even for him and his story to get to a place where now he was wanting to give out and reach out and touch other people was just incredible to to be around and be a part of in a very down-to-earth, I remember driving in his van and he's got his devotional book out while we're driving down the street, asking me to read a thing because he's driving or whatever. And very irreverent, mm-hmm. you know, compared to what we think of as, oh, I'm supposed to be holier than now, and I'm supposed to spend three hours in prayer in the morning and, you know, play the right music and do the little cross symbol or whatever it is that we do as rituals and all this other crazy stuff. And he was just not that guy at all with his tattoos and his whatever. I mean, he just, he just wasn't.
1: No, he was, he was very authentic going back to our fav- one of our favorite words and. He just lived the life
0: so I think for me the first Sunday is always the one that, that I remember when I think about Teen Challenge because we went out to this place called All Good Tennessee I think it was called All Good it was a little town in Tennessee and it's the first Sunday that we'd gone to church with all these folks so it's like two 15-person passenger vans or 12-person passenger vans all piling down to this place and we walk in this church right I mean it's you know a thousand two thousand people which you know we go to Lakewood and they run 40,000 or whatever, so it, it doesn't seem like a lot now. But but we came out of a church with, you know, 150 people, so very, very different. And I remember walking in and just being wowed by this mm-hmm. extravaganza that was the church.
1: Was there a choir or was that a different church? I,
0: I don't know if there was a choir or not. There was a bunch a of folks somewhere. on stage. Yeah, And so, you know, they, they they call Ray up, and he starts to talk about the work, and then they start, you know, bringing up some of the ladies to talk about the stories, and, and for me... I remember Laverne because she was one of the first ones who spoke and, you know, here's this lady who'd been a prostitute. She'd been a crack cocaine addict. She'd been in prison. And in in her words, and she's probably in her 40s by this point, but in her words, she didn't think anything was wrong until she realized her teenage daughter was in the prison block next to hers. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a million miles from the upbringing that I had and I'm sure it's a million miles from bringing you. Yeah,
1: and actually I did, just going back to your question about what impacted me at the start, I I remember we did, speaking of our contrasting lives, they took us to a formerly used crack house. Do you remember?
0: I'm pretty sure they didn't take us to an actual crack house, but I'm (laughs) just just saying.
1: (laughs) To, To get someone out though. But I remember it being empty, yes. And it was such a horrific sight. And I think that moment, It did impact me because I had never seen anything like it and I didn't have the best upbringing. We didn't have a ton of money. You know, I was raised in a single parent home with a great mom and I had a great dad too. But still, like, I think in England, I would be classed as someone who maybe didn't have the best childhood because we didn't have a ton of money and we didn't live in the best neighborhood, although I was pretty comfortable. But seeing that, it was such a contrast. And I think in that moment, I realized that people really were in need and in like massive need.
0: Yeah, it's funny. So, I had a message a couple of days ago, actually, from somebody. I guess they listened to one of the episodes on the podcast and they said, Hey, Mike, I'd love to hear more about the contrast between the UK and the US, how you found Mm. it, you know, moving between cultures professionally, obviously, from a business perspective, because it is different. But I think this is a great example of where, obviously, you know, England's a much smaller island. We clearly have crime and we clearly have people who have issues and, and challenges, just the same as we do now here in the States. And we've lived here for. Uh, 15 plus years. I mean, this is home for us, but I think I think where the contrast for me comes in, especially when I'm thinking about the time at Challenge, is Challenge, it's just the extremes. It's like the bad stuff's even more mm-hmm. bad over here, but the good stuff's even more good over here. Now, it's not great English, but... Better. <laughs>
1: the good stuff's even that's better. <laughs> glad, I'm glad that's why I'm here, me with guys. That. Yeah. You're
0: welcome. So we're in this church. Laverne's obviously telling a story. Yes. Everybody's crying. Everybody's just... It's just unbelievable. I, I don't know how else to describe it. And it's one after another after another. And, and that moment is just seared onto my mind. I, I couldn't tell you everything about the three months, but I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget that first service in that church. I think it was the home church of one of the people who was now working at Teen Challenge. Somebody who had gone through the program.
1: Well, I was going to say, speaking of contrast, there was another young lady, and I, I don't know if I remember her name, but you might be able to remember her name. But she came from basically the opposite... Of what Laverne had come from. She was raised in a, a really well-to-do family and she, her testimony was that she stole from her parents to buy her drugs. Right. So it wasn't all people that had had a, a tough, tough upbringing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I think we recognise that now in society. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter whether you, people from a tough neighbourhood grow up and go out there and change the world, yes. people from a great neighbourhood go out there and, and do nothing. Obviously, there's more to it than just where, you, where you're raised and, and what you do, but... I think the second thing that stands out for me is I think about that time. So Ray was a, a Brit. He'd moved to the States at some point later. Lynn, I think, was from Canada, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. yeah, and and they'd moved to the U.S. together. But they bought a London double-decker bus, and they retrofitted it. You know, this is Nashville, right? Music City, so everybody's got tour buses and whatever. And so I, I guess they built a relationship with a company that did these retrofits for all the... The country music stars and and so they retrofitted this london bus as a, a mobile coffee house it was couches and relaxed kind of stuff inside and so they would use that to go out on friday nights they'd go out into tough neighborhoods into the red light district and just go and try and befriend people love on them give them a safe place to sit and you know converse for a few minutes get a coffee whatever but then the weekends i remember we used to go out to the projects Now, look, we're two English kids, right? We don't know what the projects are. So when they told us we're going out to the projects, I'm thinking it's a project. Like we're going to go paint a house. Like it's a real project. (laughs) I didn't realize the projects were the projects. So we're driving into this neighborhood and there's literally a house full of stuff on the sidewalk because I guess someone was evicted. And that's what you do over here. Which is not something I'd ever seen before in my entire life. And so I'm thinking, holy moly, where are we going right now? What is happening? Am I going to get through this and come out alive at the end of the day? Or what is, is happening? And we, you know, we went out to this area. They set up the bus as kind of a backdrop, put up a stage. There's kids dancing and singing and all kinds of fun stuff going on. And, and they- food. food. I was just about to say, they built this huge food tent, right?
1: Oh, the food.
0: And so, so they're out there barbecuing. It's, it's Tennessee, so they're pretty good at, you know, southern hospitality. But one of the things I remember, and, and listen, if you're not a church person, you might not understand this, but if you are a church person, you'll definitely understand this. They didn't make people sit and listen to a bunch of Jesus stuff before they gave them food. The food was out there. They served it first. So good. Everybody could line up. And when I say line, holy moly, this was a line. <laughs> I mean, they were lined up to go get some free food. Yes. And then if they wanted to hang out and chat, they could. If they didn't, that was okay too. They were just happy to be loving on people mm-hmm. with no expectation in return. And and that's something else that I think stood out and probably helped shape us as we yes. eventually have you know formed this Gabriel Project and some of the things we're trying to do now. But But here comes this guy called The Hulk who gets on the stage mm-hmm. And he's probably, I don't know, he's got to be six okay. foot something, right? And mm-hmm. he must have been 350. <laughs> I mean, he was a, he was a big guy and, and a lot of it was muscle. I mean, his neck was, we're talking Mike Tyson neck, but it had to be 22, 24 inches or something like that. And so he gets up and he starts telling his story and he's talking to the folks out there. And basically it's, most of you know who I am because I used to sell you drugs. So, of course, my eyes are wide open. I don't know about you, but not quite what I was expecting to come out of his mouth. And so he was, I guess, one of the local drug dealers in Nashville for however long in his life. And one day he's he's doing a deal in an alley and someone pulls a gun out on him and shoots him point blank in the head three times. Now, obviously, he's telling the story, right? So now everybody's listening because he's standing right in front of us. And we're thinking, hang on a second three times in the head point blank Mm -hmm. why are you still here the angels come down and save you like what's going on i'm (laughs) expecting something magnificent and so he said he was lying on the ground and just pooling in blood and he remembered as a kid that his grandmother told him jesus saves Mm -hmm. and so he cries out and says jesus if you're real save me now and i will change my life and spend it you know, for you, talking about you, I don't know the exact words, but it was something like that. And he didn't remember anything else. He said the next thing he remembers was waking up in, a, in the hospital room. And I guess somebody had found him. They'd got an ambulance. They'd got him to the hospital. But here's the kicker. So the, the bullets were so lodged in such a sensitive place, they couldn't remove them. So he's whipping out x-rays with these three bullets stuck in his spine or his head or his skull. I'm not really sure what they were lodged in, but evidently some kind of walking miracle because they couldn't take him out. They couldn't do anything with him. And he's telling this story about this god that's out there that saved him from, you know, one life and transformed him to something different. And, And again, it was just, it was so raw. It was so real. It was so authentic. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't polished. It wasn't a machine. It wasn't a production. It was just just real people telling a real story to other real people.
1: Yeah, I think as I was listening to you tell the story, I was thinking about our that whole experience and just about our lives and thinking about our listeners. And we don't all have a bullet in the head story, but everybody has a story. And it's important to know or to acknowledge that your story is important too and you can be an encouragement, whatever you've been through, whether it's something to do in business, whether it's something personal, that we all have a story to tell and what that story can change someone's life. And I think that's why we wanted to share our Tennessee story, our Teen Challenge story, because that was really the beginning of Mike and Linda want to change the world. I think for me personally, I saw that even one person can make a difference because I mean, he's just one person. And yes, his story is perhaps more powerful than mine, but he's still just one person changing the world. We saw Ray and Lynn changing the world. They're just people. And I think we can encourage others that y- use that story, use your celebrations and use your failures or use whatever you can that's, that can help change someone's life. <laughs> encourage someone.
0: Well, I think it was just so interesting to see people. So that you know, the project, if you want to call it that, or the Projects Project, the idea of going out there on Saturday afternoons, that was actually a collaboration of a number of different churches, organizations. And it was fascinating to see them come together really with... You know, no return. It's not like you can sell tickets to help pay for it all and and that kind of stuff, but they were willing to invest and to be generous and, and live out that generosity in a way to touch other people's lives with really no no expectation of anything in return. And and I think that's that's unusual still today. We do it in business, we do it, you know, in ministry, we do it in life. Everybody wants something back for something. And I get it. You know, it costs us money to do things, it costs us money to be able to go to places, but at the same time that concept of, you know, you receive something freely, so, so go give it out freely. I don't know, maybe we lost something there. Maybe we've missed something. Some days I feel like you, you almost can't get any help from anywhere without somebody needing to be paid for it or to get something in exchange for it. And I know that, there's practical implications behind that. But at the same time, surely there's a better way. Surely there's a way we can give some stuff away. I mean, we do it, right? You know, we've given away office space through the Ignite program. We've given away, you know, space through the, the WorkHodge Labs program. We've,
1: we've also traded services too. And I don't think Mike's saying that that's a bad thing. I think that we just, that it shouldn't be ruled out if there's nothing that someone can give you in return. I think that's right. what you're trying to say. Yeah. It's, not, it's not that it's bad to have partnerships and to do little exchange of services or whatever um, but absolutely, I think we should be looking to where, you know what, let's just do this because we can kind of thing and not always have to expect something in return. And in fact, going back to Ray and Lynn, one of the very first sessions she taught because Lynn was a teacher, which was about expectations. And she preached a really good, well, I don't know that it was a preaching a sermon, but it was more around the dining table teaching the young ladies about it's safer to not have expectations of people so you don't become let down. And I'll never forget, I've never forgotten that just in my personal life. And so again, for business, yeah, I don't know. I agree with you.
0: It's tough, right? There's a balance here where you've got to find a line, but we've got to find that line. It can't just be all about what we get, get, get all the time. We've got to be able to build a successful enough business where we build in the ability to be generous and to be able to give and not have to just charge for everything, every second of every day, all day long.
1: It's fun to think that we might have something that we can help someone out with. I mean, we've always found that fun.
0: Well, I don't think Ray and Lynn probably thought that 20-something years later, you know, here's a couple of kids who've grown up and we're still talking about them as so we still remember them, we still remember the impression. And I think that's the beauty of life, right? You as listeners, you know, us as people talking, we all make an impression every day on, on the people we touch, the people we serve, the customers we help far beyond the expectation of the business that you're in. Obviously, for my business, we provide workspace and, and real estate in that respect, you know, wrapped around hospitality. And so, so my customers have a certain expectation there. But I have plenty of conversations that are way outside of those parameters. And, and I think you probably do too, if you think about it. So how do we do better at, at being that encourager, being that uplifter, being that inspiration, trying to help people see the good and not the bad, trying to help people see their strength and their giftings and their abilities? Just think of what the world would be if we were far less focused on ourselves and far more focused on how we can help others, how we can do more for others, how we can be more for others, how we can be positive instead of negative, encourage instead of discourage, you know, lift up instead of tear down. And I know people talk about all these kind of concepts. And thankfully, I'm the most positive, hyper encouraging person around on (laughs) earth with a smile on my face 24-7. I don't know why (laughs) Linda's laughing. (laughs) Because she's just, you see what I got to live with, people. (laughs) I'm trying to be positive yeah, right well, those now. those of you who she... know personally, <laughs> yeah, there's no
1: explanation needed. <laughs> um, no, you are very smiley. You're smiling
0: right now. I am. I'm always smiling on the inside. Just remember that.
1: <laughs> I think the Teen Challenge was, was our measure stick for the rest of our lives. I'm so glad and thankful that we had that. I think it showed us what, what real ministry was, what really changing lives was all about. And we've seen many great organisations and ministries since but I don't think anything's ever topped that project's ministry.
0: No, no, it was think, something else. I think that's still at the top. We should dig out some photos. Do oh, no. Little, <laughs> no, I don't do have hair on something. those Okay, spots. maybe not. Maybe, maybe message me directly. Hair. And I will directly send you a picture of Linda <laughs> no. from 20 something years ago. And yes, I did have hair. Thank you very much. I've still got hair. I just choose to, to shave it. Okay, let's just be clear. The Rock has a bald head. Just, you know, we're on the same page yes. here, me and Dwayne.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, dear. Ray Lynn, if you're listening. We love you. Still remember you 20-something years later. Appreciate taking the time to uh, help us find our way here and who'd have thought we'd end up living here.
1: Yeah, thanks for impacting the lives of two little British kids and so many more.
0: So here's the bottom line. I remember hearing someone talk one day. He was a professor at a college and he said kids would always come and see him and say, hey, listen, how am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to do with my life? And I think certainly, again, from a a spiritual perspective, you know, because this was a Christian college, i think the expectation is wow i'm going to get some kind of shining lights or neon flashing dreams that tell me i'm supposed to be this 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 and his response was look look around at your life look around and see what you're good at where where do you see favor and it was really practical advice but i can tell you that Lodge wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for chris velottin and that podcast or that message that i listened to that day mm-hmm. because for us at the time i think that was a piece of advice that helped us realize you know what actually seem to see a little bit more favor on the business and entrepreneurial side than we are in this ministry side, we should lean into that more. Mm -hmm. And and I say that to say this, as we look back at our lives and we we pinpoint Teen Challenge as not necessarily a turning point, because I don't know that we really had much to turn from, Mm -mm. but definitely as...
1: A foundation, maybe.
0: Yeah, as a founding kind of place where we would look back and say, when we experienced that and lived through that, that clearly started to shape the way we viewed who we wanted to be as we grew older and the things we wanted to be involved in and that's what's led us ultimately to starting a for-profit business to fund a non-profit and try and find our little way of changing a few lives along the journey and so if you're listening to this today and you're wondering about yourself and, and what you can do or what you can't do or what you have done or haven't done i'd encourage you look back in your past look back in your journey do you have any points along the way? Do you have any moments in history that just so clearly stand out or so strongly or just see it into your mind? And if you do look at those and say, okay, hey, maybe there's more into that. Maybe that would help give me some guidance or give me some direction for where I want to go in the future. Because if you don't make life happen the way you want it to, life's going to make you happen the way it wants you to. And that's not what we're designed for at all. You know, we, we take the bull by the horns and, and we make our own path and we make our own future. Amen. <laughs> well thanks for listening make sure you connect with me on instagram at real mike thacker you can also hook up on facebook and find me there too send me your questions send me your thoughts send me your ideas what are you trying what are you working on and hopefully with conversation from lots of us we can all figure out a better way of making a difference in the lives of the people we're trying to help until next time let's go out there and be amazing